listen to the gut, learn how to listen to your gut, and then make sure that you do what your gut says as well. Because I was consistently in situations where I went, nope, gut feelings, stop, because I, I can't deal with it. It's overwhelming with everything else going on. I think it would have saved me in so many situations. Hi, I'm Brooke Melhouse. Welcome to Disabled and Proud, the podcast that does exactly what it says on the tin. Each week, the show highlights an awesome disabled guest speaking about their own disability, why they're proud to be disabled, and why they're proud to be themselves. Welcome, Sick June, to Disabled and Proud. How are you today? Oh, thank you for having me. I'm okay. I'm okay, surprisingly. Um, a little tired, but you know, that's how it usually is for me in the morning. <laughs> Yeah, it's how we roll, right? Like, we're yeah. here to survive another day. We made it, so that's good enough. Yeah, I'm just glad I've shown up and I haven't, like, had a misfit with, like, pain or something or I can't focus on something. It, there's usually something that's going on, but I'm okay today. That's great. That's, we love to hear that and actually ties in so nicely to the first question. And mm. Um, I really need to think about another way to word this because I've been saying the same thing for however many episodes now but I love to ask every single guest how do you refer to your disability Mm. I actually don't know I feel like I've had like a really weird journey with disability because like for a really long time I wasn't even aware of like disability movement or disability rights um, let alone the fact that I was actually living with ADHD and autism <laughs> like from a child um, so it's been weird to know that I've acquired chronic pain five, for the last five years and been saying to everyone oh I've got an acquired disability and then going actually I'm just late diagnosed um, mm. and I've been like trying to manage barriers and that kind of thing my whole life but I've never really re- like recognized it as that mm-hmm. um so sh- to put it short and sweet I don't know how I refer to it I just go disabled neurodivergent uh yeah <laughs> I also think that's a really important thing to say because I think a lot of people don't necessarily know how they refer to their disability because like you said when you when you get like a late diagnosis you've had so much mm-hmm. of your life where you're like this is a part of who I am. And then you're di- you get a diagnosis and you're like, oh my goodness, so many of these traits that I just thought were me were actually just how my brain's wired. And it, yeah. it's, you know, it does, it takes a bit of time to be like, okay, like how do I now relate to this? Because this is a big part of who I am, but I've never yeah. known about that part, which it, it like it is complicated in a way. Oh yeah, absolutely. It was actually really funny because I was having this reflection last night. Um, and how like disability rights, disability movement, everything to do with disability is like so separated from everything else. Yeah. Um, and and that the only thing that I could think of was like, if you separate yourself from being disabled, you're less likely to actually advocate for yourself. You're less likely to um, do any kind of self-care. <laughs> and I don't mean self-care as in like, face masks and baths and going to a spa like it could be that um but in the typical sense self-care is just looking out for you first before looking out for everyone else and that is disability rights to a t um and I find it so weird that for sorry I'm gonna go on a rant here (laughs) honestly this is what this podcast is for I love it when people (laughs) rant because I'm like yes come on (laughs) I feel like I have so many reflections um so I love that these opportunities come up that I'm like oh you know what? I'm just gonna start saying it on this podcast with with so and so because it's quite fun um but yeah no and it's it's interesting to see um the differences with those that have accepted disability even if it isn't like accepted it um in terms of like oh it's a better part of me but just knowing about that disability knowing it's there actually changes your outlook and your perspective Mm. on just the world the the Mm. experiences I feel like the last five years of having like chronic pain and going into like advocating for myself a bit better um putting my needs first has been life-changing for me it's actually been more beneficial than it has been negative yeah. And it's kind of so funny when you know non-disabled people come to you and like, oh, well, you're just differently abled. 
you're not disabled you don't need to call yourself disabled. you don't need another identity you don't need a another diagnosis I'm like it's it's me I'm figuring out me like mm-hmm. that's the best part like I don't think a lot of South Asians get that um but even just generally non-disabled people they don't get that yeah. um yeah uh, round of reflection <laughs> no but I also think it's a really important one because I think what you said about those who are able to accept their disability in whatever way shape or form it is self-care because you do become better at advocating for yourself you become better at putting your needs first you'll be able you're more able to see where you need to put your rights your needs your wants first and you're also able to see where society doesn't do that for you and that's when you're like okay this needs to change or I'm going to speak up about this whether you want to or not like speaking up is very much your choice I'm someone who just happens to really enjoy talking about disability all the time so that's what I do (laughs) but you don't have to do that but I think that's such that's such an important thing that you said because actually I've never really thought about it like that but being able to be like yeah I'm disabled it also means that actually yeah I'm also able to stand in my power and tell you what I need when I need it and what my access needs are without me flinching about it because it's it's an inherent part of who I am yeah and you understand what those needs are to be able to ask for them because I I know for so long like being like late diagnosed as well I was trying to figure out those things of what I need what I could ask for um but without actually knowing what it was that I was struggling with Mm -hmm. and that's half the issue is like if I had known that then I would have been able to go um mom I can't process what you're saying to me right now it doesn't make any sense just give me two seconds <laughs> and I'll, yeah. I'll be able to respond do you know it's it's simple that even like with teachers school environment friends everyone it would have been completely different um and yeah I think the, the biggest part of that reflection was that specifically like for South Asian women we're taught from a young age to not look after yourselves like it's everyone else first and yeah. then you and I think that's why we've become so much further behind in this and it's yeah it's upsetting to see but I'm just glad that I've got this reflection that I can then go oh by the way I'm going to share this here and there and I'm going to talk yeah. about it because it needs to be said it needs to be said that so many other disabled people that maybe they don't even know they're disabled or they don't claim that identity it I mean that's completely up to them it's optional but it is disability rights for you to take care of yourself first um and and to know how to actually ask for those accommodations yeah absolutely absolutely to a but I really want like what you said just then about how you having an earlier diagnosis would have completely changed school because I always love to think about what childhood was like particularly for disabled children because I Mm. think there's such a massive shift as a disabled child being a disabled child then being a disabled teen then being a disabled adult there's there's very like three very key and separate stages but Mm. because you had a late diagnosis I wonder what the whole scholastic system was like for you because I can imagine and this is completely off assumption and through conversations that I've had is that yeah might not have been your favorite thing Oh my gosh, no, it was terrible. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love reflecting on it, but you know, when people come to me and be like, oh man, I wish I could go back to like so-and-so age because it was so much easier. And I was like, nah, it's easier now because yeah. I know me now. But, mm. you know, going back to 12-year-old me, oh my God, no. I, I Maybe with this mindset, um, with this reflection yeah. and knowing who I am now at 12, it would have been 10 times better. Um, but going back to those specific shoes, no, she was struggling a lot. She she, she struggled because she didn't understand why it was when she wanted to say something in response to a question in class. Um, she knew the answer. She's got it in her head. She wouldn't wouldn't be able to actually get it out of like verbalize it at all it was stuck it was literally stuck um or even when I'm in a group setting with like um other I I would say friends but they never really treated me as such um you in in those environments I was having the same thing and it's like I don't understand why I can't say it right now but then I go home I'm in my room have my little bit of a time 
and then with my family I'm completely fine I'm yeah. talking um if anything I can't shut up <laughs> um talking a bit too much and I didn't understand that but I was also the only person that could see those two sides in school yeah. social environments I was struggling and then when I was at home I was able to say so much and if anything I couldn't stop myself from saying things yeah. um so that made it 10 times harder but alongside that so I like I grew up and I still live in a very predominantly white area um which made things harder because I was the only so the only brown person I might have been just the only brown girl I can't really remember school days I suck it um but I was it was very limited on who you could talk to and mm-hmm. relate to in that sense um and and then I was racially abused from other peers from teachers actually even as well they were just a little bit more subtle about it um and I I learned how to be able to keep myself quiet in those situations um and basically escape it through that but I didn't realize that the reason why so many and it wasn't the only reason but the biggest reason why people were doing that was because they knew something was off (laughs) um yeah they they knew something socially that I, I struggled with and they didn't know how to discriminate specifically about that because they couldn't figure that out so they discriminated against my skin color instead or even my religion as well um Mm. because that was easier to do so I went through most of school life going Mm. I wish I had a lighter skin color and I know that was most of it anyway um but to only have that um thought on just my skin color I didn't think oh okay maybe I act a little differently maybe I and I think differently to other people and I behave differently to other people it just never occurred to me it never occurred to my parents um and it's nobody's fault (laughs) but it was a struggle (laughs) it was a struggle yeah because there's a there's a big there's a big phrase and I can't quite remember so I'm gonna bastardize it but it's something like if you keep telling someone there's something to a certain degree they're going to believe it and that and and from what you've just said that kind of sounds very apt because you know you're like you said you've been racially abused so mm. and and it's not it's because they were that was the easy thing to go for whereas actually it was something else but because that was the first thing and that was the first point of call and and almost nobody dug deeper which sounds like a really fucked up way of putting this together. I feel like I'm really messing this up, but because there wasn't that like deeper level of knowledge and and that's all you're hearing as well. Of course, that's going to be what the first thing that you believe. And I just, yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that as well. Cause I know that that's not easy to talk about. And I really appreciate you talking about this because it actually leads on really nicely to what you do now, but mm. that experience Sat, like just doesn't sound like an ideal situation for anybody to grow and th- thrive in and and it makes me sad that you went through that but equally would you be here now doing what you do now if you hadn't it's it's like swings and roundabouts do you know what I mean oh yeah absolutely I think about that so much um and and just just generally like not even the work that I do but just like how my personality is shaped because of that yeah um because I probably wouldn't have been so obsessed with social justice at 16 if it wasn't for the fact that like um I had gone through stuff like that and I it's it's funny as well because you kind of see some similarities in between how um racial abuse is is used against you and how literally ableism is used against you as well um like for example like there's so much discourse and like comments and things around masking for like autistic people or even ADHD as well um and there's so many different terms for it like camouflaging and and so on the first time I ever came across that was actually at 16 when I was googling um and researching about um intersectional feminism and Mm -hmm. I came across code switching um which is actually the exact same thing um but it's more I guess towards ethnic minority groups 
switching to to camouflage basically masking their environment that um suits better like if you're in a white majority setting mm. um you you know that you have to almost mask parts of your identity uh, you don't talk about your faith <laughs> you don't talk about culture mm. you don't talk about the family and the the food that you're going to have tonight because that's probably going to put you in a dangerous situation if you don't know them mm. and that kind of thing makes it <laughs> um almost easier to pinpoint what it is that you, how you behave in certain ways because I've always known masking as code switching which yeah. is just always something that I've done <laughs> um but yeah and I've always contributed to to the the racial abuse that I had um but yeah so I did to an extent I did figure out quite a lot of the ways that I behaved quite early on but um I never contributed it to being autistic I never contributed it to having ADHD that that was never something that occurred to me until till recently I I love I do love the conversation about women and ADHD and autism because I find it fascinating for like a whole Mm. host of reasons so I used to work and I still do work with autism predominantly that's like what I do outside this but I used to work Mm. with autistic children and the amount of young girls that I worked with compared to the amount of young boys that I worked with was staggering there was maybe like four girls to every I'm gonna say at least 15 boys and Mm. and when you when you think about that number Mm. it's such a misrepresentation because so many women go so underdiagnosed for so long or they might even go their entire lives without a diagnosis when actually it's just because autism and ADHD present incredibly differently in like women and men and I find that fascinating because it's along the lines of I recently found this out this is like this is completely off topic but all (laughs) medical studies that were done up until I think something along the lines about the 1970s were all done predominantly on men because they didn't trust women because of their menstrual cycle because they couldn't chart where they were so because they had a menstrual cycle they would be up and like obviously we all know we're up and down across a month whereas guys are up and down during a day so they could figure out for men exactly where they were every day at 9am they were going to be exactly the same but for women at 9am they're not the same throughout their so that's why medical studies have predominantly been done on guys because they were seen as quote-unquote more emotionally stable Mm. isn't that fascinating like my whole brain was like (laughs) oh yeah it makes a lot of sense because even I was um when I first started taking ADHD medication as well I was starting to notice like about a week maybe less before I start my period Uh the meds don't work they don't work at all like it's almost that my hormones have just I don't know depleted completely yeah. um I'm definitely not giving any advice to anyone listening right now because I don't know um I need to do my own research on this but I definitely know that that is something that's happened and when saying it to my consultant he was saying that they were going into new research around this because of the fact medication also doesn't work the same um so it makes sense when you say it because actually they've only done these studies um I think it's since 2018 right on women yeah. um or maybe even earlier than that it could be 2019 but either way it's it's still acceptable in comparison to what did you say 1970 something like the 1970s yeah. when they first started introducing women and wow. then but they but this was like I'm talking like one woman per study so like out of 100 people it'd be 99 men and one woman so that's why like our medical knowledge particularly for women particularly around female health because when you think about female health in general like the knowledge that we have mm. about it is absolutely disastrous Awful. yeah it's <laughs> I, so bad like it's, it's such it's such a it's such a head fuck I was trying not to say that word but it's the best word that I've got for it like no other words coming to mind no it is it is I recently found this is completely away from disability um but I recently heard that they never used um, test dummies, uh, female test dummies in cars before. So they're doing that for the first time this year. Um, and that just shows as well, like just being a non-disabled woman, you're in a lot of danger just getting in a car. Imagine being a disabled woman getting in a car. 
yeah um that's my only mode of transport and that scared me so much <laughs> yeah but it's it's so true and like that I love what you said like imagine being a non-disabled woman getting into a car but then imagine being a disabled woman getting into a car because mm-hmm. our bodies are way different <laughs> so much different so much different and I think that's the scary part is that it's just it's been normalized as like oh well w- women aren't <laughs> needing to drive places um as much and it's like we're in 2023 so a lot has changed um and that means every process leading into that needs to change with it as well and the fact that that's happening now and this year it's just yeah scary you don't know what else wild isn't it it's so wild I would absolutely love it if we could talk a bit about chronically brown yes because I remember coming across this and being like this is the first organization social media anything I have seen particularly targeted to what you do and I Mm. think that I think you're right and when you say that there's so much that we don't know but also it's so fascinating because how has this not been done before and I think I say that a lot about disability and I think maybe that's because I'm a really gobby person and I find a bit like you probably social justice like I can't compute why certain things (laughs) are the way they are when they don't work yeah but I would love it if you could like talk about it and about what it is what it does how it started all of the good stuff yeah yeah absolutely I think it's always been um an assumption for for disabled people that we've that if if nobody speaks up about it then it's not needed um but for us we can't always verbalize the things that we need as well or it's it's kind of harder to do so um and I was starting to notice that on a different scale for South Asians. Uh, and that was like shortly after like chronic pain started for me. Um, and I was trying to explain to like <clears throat> certain members of my family as well, how um, like what that meant for me um, mm-hmm. and how like, it's not something that can be cured. It's not like as easy as taking some paracetamol and it's like all better now. I had a one comment that was, said that oh it's just growing pains and I looked at them and I was like I'm 21 <laughs> um I think I've done all the growing and I know I know I'm 5'3 but well actually I'm 5'2 and like three quarters and every every part of your height counts when you're short <laughs> I'm 5'3 as well so I'm like I'm 5'3 in a bit on a good day <laughs> right um so I know I know I'm pretty short but I at the same time like it, it didn't make any sense to say that I was growing pains um so trying to get that across them I was really really angry um and I think it was right at the beginning or just before the pandemic had um like properly started I guess um I decided to make social media accounts I named them like a random name um which happened to be chronically brown um and I just started sharing what that experience is actually like so that my family members could follow it know what it is that like in my day-to-day life like some days I just can't move at all or some days I have to take this medication it's not a bad medication it's just been stigmatized against um you know that those kinds of things um but then I was also having like other South Asians come to me and they're they're from usually from private accounts that didn't really share anything about their conditions or their disabilities um or impairments in that way but they were sharing like basically their life story because they hadn't had anyone else to talk to about this stuff that they could relate to or they didn't feel safe enough to um so like from that I decided like can I I would ask them can I share your story for you it doesn't need to have your name it doesn't need to have like any way associated to you you completely write it up um and I'll share it on your behalf um or I would speak for them and I'll start sharing their story like it's almost almost like it's mine um but just so that it, they're able to see themselves in what's being shared mm-hmm. they can feel less isolated from it and hopefully empower them to do the same as well um because it's a little difficult for us because I come across lots of people that are in domestic abuse situations mm-hmm. because of the fact that they are disabled so they can't speak out about it mm-hmm. um but on the other end as well it's just like a, it's family members that are going you don't need to talk about this because 
what will the neighbours say or what will um, our friends down the road say or what will they say at that wedding that we'll go to next week? They're consistently worried about the judgment from others that they hide something that they don't know how to talk about um, or I guess um, can't see it from a positive light. They see it from a very stereotypical, that means you can't get married, you can't cook, you can't clean, you can't get a job um you know you'll always be reliant on us as parents but we need you to be looking after us when we're old so you're just going to pretend that you don't have a disability Mm -hmm. um those are the realities and I felt I was very in a privileged position that I know I won't experience any of those things I wasn't getting I was getting some backlash (laughs) from what I was showing but I wasn't getting major backlash that anyone would stop me um so I just kept going with it. And since then, it's just kind of snowballed into something that we just will host monthly discussion groups or we'll go to like specific exhibitions and we'll share our translation resources. Um, or we, we um, increased engagement on certain like usually health related research. Yeah. Um, but it's all to the betterment of helping South Asians to own disabilities and also yeah. just speak out about them um and if if the work specific services that we offer don't offer anything to them we know that in the back of our heads us being there is just as beneficial for them yeah. because they don't see themselves as much um and yeah the only reason I say that is because you know use the lead it's pretty hard sometimes it's really yeah. hard being disabled and then also talking out and trying to help as much as you can to which I'm sure you you already know like it's it's difficult sometimes but I love it I love it yeah. <laughs> I think what you're doing is so important because I was having a conversation with a friend who's also quite big in the disability space and she's doing some mm-hmm. incredible stuff And what we were talking about is how actually, particularly women, uh, I mean, particularly women, but also actually when when I think about it, also men as well. And that's not to like stereotype gender wise, but when we're talking about, you know, the disability rights movement, it is very white. Mm. It's very, very rare that in a round table talk about disability, everybody is represented and I mean that's all genders all races all types of sexuality whoever you are it's very very rare that it's a diverse panel which is so upsetting because Mm. disability is the only thing that doesn't discriminate yeah like it doesn't matter who you are at any point in time you can become disabled like regardless of who you are it literally does not matter there is no magic pill that you can take to stop you becoming disabled whatever your disability may be and it's I love what you do because you're really shining a light on that and I like the fact that you're so unapologetic about it as well you're like actually sorry like you're not brown so you can't come in like (laughs) because there's there's so many other barriers that other people face where the roles are reversed that actually why take up the space it's it's there we're meant to all have a seat at the table and if if there isn't a seat at the table like get on it and dance on the table instead exactly right and I think like you're so right and I've been saying this so much to people it's like it doesn't disability doesn't discriminate if it hasn't affected you right now it might affect you in a month it might affect you in a few years down the line you don't know it could be a loved one it could be you specifically Mm. um and that's why it's so important to you know accept those disabilities like I said like earlier with the self-care and things like you'll have that but also you'll be able to understand it on a deeper level we've you know going back to to uh neurodivergency and like adhd and autism we've recently found out how that looks different for women mm-hmm. who's to say that that might look different for south asians yeah it might look different for black communities and we don't really know that because we haven't looked we haven't had enough conversations for us to look into ourselves to then go oh it's culturally different ah there's like a really big really big genetic component here um or even just like the way that um we behave with it when we're not even aware um Mm. like I and this is personal reflections (laughs) and I I definitely am not gonna 
start like a scientific study or anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like I've definitely seen that there's quite a few people in who are neurodivergent and they're not aware and it's almost led to them being uh, and developing like certain behaviors usually like with narcissism Mm -hmm. that has then gone generationally down because that's the only way that they've shown their children how to behave um and it's so upsetting to see that on a higher scale just because we are brown but just because we haven't had that conversation around neurodiversity to the point we don't know how to behave or deal with it um work with it we work against it and then as a result we pass it on to further generation and it's it's I don't know it's it's really hard to see to see stuff like that happen and have nobody talk about it because we're not even aware for us to talk about it um and it's going to be an ongoing thing like we're always going to be figuring things out like how that will be different culturally how it'll be different for different faiths genders sexuality everything's going to be like an ongoing um (laughs) learning for us but at the forefront, we need to start talking about intersectionality mm-hmm. because of the fact that everyone can be affected by disability yeah. and how different that is going to be from person to person. If we don't speak about that part, we're never going to get anywhere to help people further down the line. Um, but again, that's just my personal reflection on it. Um, it's just when you're thrown into work like this, um, I say thrown in very... Um, nicely because I actually love it so much that I could never be thrown into it I put myself into it um when you're consistently thinking about it like this you you really do um reflect on it differently um but I love having these conversations about it I love the fact that through the last few years we've started to see a bit more of a conversation around it um because it gives me hope for stuff like this it really does um yeah just in comparison from when I first heard about the disability movement to now it, it's definitely changed for, for the better yeah. um you know there's there's some down things that are currently going on but you know between us as a community would I feel like there's more of a um a together and community sense instead of this separated you talk about race and you talk about disability and it, that's separate from each other it's quite nice to see that yeah and I love that actually it, it is becoming it is becoming that because I think you're right. I think actually generally on the whole, the disabled community tend to be the most inclusive. And I think that that's mm. because outside life can be so exclusive. So like everybody understands what it's like to go up against access barriers. Everybody understands what ableism is. Like we all have we all have our own stories. We all have our own experiences and there's a lot of commonality between us like but that's regardless mm. of what your disability is so it doesn't yes. doesn't matter that i don't have a hand and that you have adhd and autism like we will still mm. understand when i'm like someone was a dick to me today and it was and it was because of my disability it wasn't because of like you know something else that it was the disability was the common denominator here and i think actually like yes it's awful to go through that but equally it is quite nice to be able to have a community of people where you're like this really rubbish thing happened and they're like we understand we have your back and that's the one thing I love about the disabled community is that we do really try and rally around each other regardless of what the problem is and also like we tend to have the funniest sense of (laughs) humours that's just a fact I I feel like I'm I have very controversial opinion when I start saying to people like disability humor is unmatched there is nothing like disability humor um, because and I think it's so much better when non-disabled people get offended by it because it's not for them anyway so it makes it so much better for them yes and I I actually love what you said like it's not for the non-disabled it is not for them and that's why you find it awkward and that's why you feel uncomfortable it's just not for you I'm sorry you're not you're not in the gang yeah exactly we're not gonna stop with our ridiculous humor because you're offended by it because actually that's our truth and we're allowed to laugh about it too like why can't we it's hard yeah ex- literally I love oh my god I love that so much it's not for non it's but it's so true like it's not for the non-disabled yeah. like and also don't put yourself to try and find it funny when you don't like, mm. 
Right. And I find some, again, this is where there's, you know, com- common things um, align as well. Like people, non-disabled people tend to center themselves in disability a bit too much um, when they start using things like differently abled or get offended by dis- disability humor as well. Um, but then the same thing happens as well with like race when you start talking about those experiences or even just making fun out of it. There's usually some white cis heterosexual man in the middle of it centering themselves and offended by everything that's been said. Yeah. And you just think to yourself, like, why can't we just be able to talk about it without having that backlash? Why can't you just sit and listen? Please. Yeah. Just sit and listen. And that's the common between between all of them, really. Um, if you don't have that experience, sit down and listen. There's nothing wrong with that. Um and it's not about you. We're not talking specifically and hating on you as a person. We just want you to listen, do better, and help us. <laughs> That's it. It's simple. I love that. And also, I think I'd add to that, like, you don't have to tell us that you feel uncomfortable. Yes. Like, yes. you feel uncomfortable, do something about it. Don't just sit That's there. That's your problem. Yeah. Yeah. yeah lit- literally that. <laughs> that. That's your problem. Like, it's not my fault that I've made you feel uncomfortable about my lived experience yes yeah I like I love that though like you this is not for you you just need to listen oh my god it's like it's so powerful (laughs) when you say it isn't it because you're like yeah there's so many things that like you're right that it's 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 common between every ism as they say yeah just need to sit and listen because Mm. if you're offended or you feel uncomfortable then you know that at some level, and I hate to break it to you, if you do feel a bit uncomfortable, you could be part of the problem. Shock horror. Exactly, exactly. If you don't sit in the uncomfortableness, then yeah, you you absolutely are the problem. Going back to disabled humour, you just reminded me of a joke that I randomly said to a family member. When I say, um, you know, about racism, sexism, anything, I was like... <laughs> The only ism I don't mean is autism. And I I, I said it and then I realised I was talking to a non-disabled person and then went, oh no, it's not gonna it's not gonna work as well as I meant you it. Didn't, like understand why that's so funny. <laughs> but it just kind of came out like verbal diarrhea and I was just like, oh, that's the wrong person to say that to and now I and now I had to share it with you because because I need some <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> I when I say it's, so, it's so true because there have been so many times where I've said something about not having one hand and I've been like, oh, you were the you weren't the right person to say that to. Yeah. I like, wish I could take it back. And the thing is, once it's out of your mouth, you can't just swallow it back. You can't be like, oh, you know, yeah. work out and you're like, you just sat there and you're like, oh, I feel that. awkward. <laughs> because you feel awkward it's not because yeah. it's not funny I found myself hilarious but the fact that you're squirming with it kind of makes me squirm a bit but I was yeah. still funny like <laughs> yeah yeah because it, it makes you feel uncomfortable too that you said something like you start almost gaslighting yourself into thinking you've done something wrong um only because of their reaction which is such a sad thing as well because it kind of send you into a spiral when you when you have feelings like that um when really you just you, you need more of a connective community feel where you could just say what you want like in a non-hateful sense you know <laughs> there's no hate yeah. going on but you know you, you're allowed to just joke if you want to joke about it because yeah yeah you do you babes <laughs> yeah yeah just we're in a comfortable environment why can't we yeah I would love to ask you a piece of advice that you would mm. give a younger version of yourself. I see there's so much that I would want to say to my younger self, but yeah. not like advice wise. It would be more of a don't worry, you're going to figure it out soon so don't stress so much. Mm. Uh, <laughs> but advice wise, I I think advice wise, I, I, would, I would say just stick to your gut listen to the gut learn how to listen to your gut um and then make sure that you do what your gut says as well because I was consistently in situations where I went nope gut feeling stop because I I can't deal with it it's overwhelming with everything else 
going on. I think it would have saved me in so many situations if I just listened to my gut yeah. <laughs> a lot more. Um, but that's part of the process I'm doing now. If I had advice, I would would have done that so much younger. <laughs> yeah, I love that listen to your gut because I think a lot of people mm-hmm. could really take that on board. Like you, they say that your gut's your second brain, don't they? Your gut knows before. Yes. Like, your gut picks up on everything way before like your brain does. The amount of times I've been in a situation and my stomach has like dropped and I'm like, okay, I'm not meant to be here. Bye. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You just, you have those, it's almost like you're, um, it's not thinking you're somehow like psychic or something or magic, but it's, it is just genuinely that your body knows what's about to happen. Um, It's trying to save you for that moment, but I've always I've had those feelings and then at the same time the feelings that I've listened to are the ones that are absolutely ridiculous like I would get anxious answering an email and then I'll just avoid it for like so long as well um and I'll listen to those feelings but I won't listen to my gut that's going Hmm, maybe there's a there's a reason why this specific email <laughs> it just yeah. sounds a little off about um and if I had known that I would have been able to respond to it but I just you know ran away instead um which is why I wish I, I listened to my gut a lot more even from a younger age that I could learn these things now but now I'm just working through it at 24. <laughs> yeah we love that we love that yeah. we've got it a- gotta just you know the thing is I think sometimes you don't know what you don't know until someone either shows you or you figure it out for yourself and like actually it's great hindsight is a wonderful wonderful thing right we all love reflection we all love looking back at childhood or whatever but sometimes you can go a little bit too deep into it Mm. and also on the flip side if you didn't have those experiences in earlier life or you know two years ago three years ago however long ago it was would you be the person that you are now being doing the stuff that you're doing? And I, and I think, I think about this quite a lot. I'm like, had, had I been, I don't know, non-disabled, would I be as gobby as I am now? Probably not. But that's because I've always wanted to shout and scream about what I think is right and wrong. Do I have an inherent sense of justice because I'm disabled? Probably like I, I probably do, but have I been able to cultivate that and become a bit more eloquent with how I say it? absolutely and that's developed over time so Mm. I would definitely like I would praise my younger self and be like well done you but actually like wait for your time as well because you have to go through experiences to almost like marinate in them to become who you need to be which is incredibly wordy and I'm actually quite proud of how that came together because that was quite eloquent (laughs) yeah I was gonna say you put that perfectly actually like way better than I could put it um that that is yeah I I think about it a lot and I don't think I wouldn't want to go through it again but I I wouldn't change those experiences just so that I could I don't know have a have a easier childhood um because the person who I am now because of all those experiences is probably going to be so much better than the, the girl that would have come out from from that non-abusive school environment um yeah yeah I I, those experiences definitely shaped me yeah so I like to ask everybody is there a particular positive trait that you have noticed within yourself through any form of hardship have you upon reflection looked back and been like actually I'm really proud that I was so for example someone was that I'm really proud that I've stayed soft when the world can be really hard outside or some people say that they're really proud that they're determined and I always wonder like and particularly because we're disabled people and it becomes a bit harder to notice positive reflections is there a particular positive trait that you're really proud of um see I would have said um staying soft and when when the world is treating me like that like it's but at the same time I don't think I am I think I can be quite hard-headed and (laughs) hot-headed um so I I mean saying that I feel like I have probably a bit too um too much empathy but either way um 
My, I think this might be controversial, but I think my resilience. Yeah. Um, I don't like that I have resilience in every situation, and I, I have to have that in every situation. Mm-hmm. But I've enjoyed the fact that no matter how much has been thrown at me, and I've had to, you know, take so much support and tools and things to be able to overcome them in a different way or not overcome work with them um that I've almost been able to do that in a situation where I don't have to think about it now yeah um it doesn't come like a as a massive shock it's like okay how do we deal with this deal with it feel the emotions and move on to the next thing because it's it's not it hasn't had such a of a bigger impact on my life that I'm like stressing and only thinking about that one thing that's happened to me now um it's almost like what's happened I can't do anything about it I can feel those emotions of how I I feel because it was so negative towards me or like it was not great um work with it and then use that for something that's actually either really beneficial or just move past it completely so like chronically brown was one of those things that I worked with it instead because I I couldn't keep <laughs> I couldn't keep having those situations for me and then for so many other South Asian people mm-hmm. we're dealing with the same thing I I just yeah I think my resilience has been the po- most positive thing because I've been able to help other people as well as myself as well at the same time yeah I love that yeah. I particularly enjoy what you said actually about sometimes you don't enjoy the fact that you're so resilient and I think that I, I, I can completely relate to that because I think sometimes I would I would love to be able to just sit and cry over yes. certain and just really yeah. and like sounds really weird but like enjoy the fact that I'm crying about a sad situation when actually I think probably a bit like you throughout your life you've been like okay yeah that's sad feel I feel sad but I need to just you know okay cool like process it move on and, yeah. it's, it, and you're right it does become a bit second nature because you're a bit like okay cool night next thing okay cool we've been okay that's another thing cool like let's let's keep going like this this is menial compared to what we went through last week mm. but I, I I like that you said that because I think there's a lot to be said in in sitting sometimes in emotion I think we're obsessed with instant gratification as a society yeah. we love things to be immediate we love to get things yesterday rather than today and and actually sometimes you do need to sit and process emotions and it can take a bit longer and I think that's probably like been my downfall in life is where I've been I've probably like moved on too quickly to something else and I'm like oh that still really annoyed me but that was like six months ago why why is that popped up now <laughs> you're like it's because you moved on too quick <laughs> yeah you haven't worked through it enough and that that is the downfall of resilience is you've become the strong friend yeah (laughs) you've become that everyone can rely on you because they know that you can deal with either your own situations or their situations so well um that when something happens to you and other people are aware they they don't think oh okay let me take a step back they might be struggling with x y and z now because this has happened to them they they just automatically go and oh well she was fine next last time so she'll be fine again this time so there is downfalls to it. I absolutely acknowledge them because it's not the best thing to be resilient. It's not the best thing to be forced to be resilient mm-hmm. to the point you don't know how to not be resilient. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it is a really good skill to have too. So mm. I've, yeah, it, it's, it's been one of those. <laughs> yeah, it definitely, it definitely is a double-edged sword. And I think that mm. just going to put it out there. Therapy is the best thing ever. If you have yeah. access to it, go to it. Thank Yeah therapy will change your life <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it definitely was one thing that I changed my life as well it was you you can figure out all these things out loud um in an environment that you don't necessarily have to think twice about because it is safe and you know it's yes. safe yes yeah. that's the biggest thing for me like I never had spaces where I could just say whatever I want and be safe in there now I'm just meh. I'll say whatever now because I, I've, I've had that space for me to be like I don't have to worry too much about what I'm saying in every sense um, and the reason why I say that is because like I've 
like growing up is like I have to think about every single word that comes out of my mouth mm-hmm. because it could be that little thing that then irritates the next person because you've said it wrong um mm-hmm. I think that's the autism <laughs> um, but yeah I'm trying to work with that instead now which is that's why it's beneficial but again that goes back to the self-care thing as well yeah um, now that I know that I know I can work through those things in therapy yeah so, yeah I just oh this conversation no I love it this conversation is so good I also really enjoy so I think this is maybe like where disabled humor comes in and stuff that I find really funny but I think as disabled people we often get asked really weird questions particularly surrounding our disabilities right like I I, when I was little people consistently used to ask me if a shark had bit my arm off and like (laughs) Firstly, that would have made that would have made like front page news. Girl in England has arm bitten <laughs> off my shark. Like my face would have been on like every single newspaper, but my face wasn't on every single newspaper. So the likeness is that never happened. But I like to ask other people what are the like the weird questions or the question or the like the questions that are repeated quite often that they get because there is just so many that we 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 as like a collection of people get. I don't think I've had any funny ones. Yeah. I think my funniest one was when a family member asked me if, well, not asked me, but told me, oh, it's just growing pains. And that always just always stuck in my mind because I, I was biting my tongue and trying not to laugh at them. Yeah. Um, because I probably would have got in serious trouble if I did laugh at them. Mm. <laughs> um, but I think another one is always when I have to use my crutch as well anywhere and um, people consistently ask me, it's like, oh, is that permanent? I'm like huh well that doesn't make any sense for I'm like yeah I've permanently injured my knee yes that that's why I have chronic pain in my knee like now I have to tell you my whole story because of that oh yeah it's because I drove clutch for a bit too long and it ruined literally ruined the um my kneecap that it just comes out of place sometimes and it's it's always a funny one because it's usually from other South Asian people because they don't know how else to bring it up. Um, mm. And I don't know if that's because I, I put myself in more predominantly South Asian spaces or not, but yeah, I, I get that quite a lot. <laughs> yeah. It's oh, like, it's fa- it is fascinating. Like the human brain for me, just like, I, I love like understanding <laughs> other people. I think it's something that I just find genuinely fascinating. And I think, I think being disabled probably makes you a bit more curious because you're like my body doesn't work how like average joe blogs works and so what questions do you have to ask me because I know you're dying to ask some (laughs) yeah and then when people ask you like that's that's the question that you go with like come on there are way more interesting ones that you could ask but you went with that one (laughs) right and you know that that reminds me as well but that's where like an intersectional thing I'm surprised hasn't been spoken about because visible disability and invisible disability are treated so differently. But if you have both, how how do you navigate that in a sense? Because you almost have to use your visible, like I know I have to use my crutch to get accommodations, but if I don't have my crutch with me, it's so much harder. Like I have a sunflower lanyard, I'll have... um, as much as I can and feel safe to I'll tell people like by the way I'm a, a little autistic I don't know what the hell I was gonna say <laughs> I'm autistic and this noise is a little bit too loud. can you please turn it down slightly and then you get stared at and looked at you like no you're not go away <laughs> yeah and, and, th- and that is just my experience of it because at the same time I can easily hide it I can just put my crutch away and be like, okay, well, let's put in a compression on my knee. A normal mask, I think, because they usually don't. And that's why I was like so surprised that intersectionality hasn't been discussed in that way because there there is differences to how people are treat disabled people are treated based off if somebody can see it or if they can't see it. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just a random thought that came to my head. But there. actually, that's so. I hadn't. I actually hadn't had that thought before. But you are so right that the way people with hidden or you know invisible disabilities are treated versus when it's very clearly visible, mm-hmm. and accommodations are. And I don't want to say they're easier for those who have, like oh, visible no, no. disabilities, but 
people logically because they can see it they understand whereas when it's something that you can't see like autism like ADHD people find that a lot harder to process because it's not visual they can't see it they can't smell it they can't hear it and so actually like you're you're very right how do we have that conversation where what if like you said like what if you have both a hidden disability but also a visible disability like where Mm. where which one or almost like which one do you rely on heavier to get what you need and and actually is it detrimental to rely on one more than the other because does that make you more hidden disabilities or unhidden where, like where where does the line draw and actually it's it's going to be something I now think about for the rest of the day <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry but it's it's only because you actually to be fair you reminded me like I recently had to take a um, a taxi and when I got to the place the taxi driver had dropped me off right in front of the biggest flight of stairs going and I was trying to explain to him multiple times I can't get up those stairs because I didn't have a crutch with me and because it looked like I was completely fine bear in mind I had like a bunch of compressions on underneath my clothes like layers <laughs> so I, I I couldn't get it through to him and I had to literally very slowly walk myself up these stairs because I can walk up the stairs it's just it causes me pain and it's just not worth it on a long day like I don't want to then potentially injure myself because Mm. I've had to walk up a bunch of stairs and then have to get through the rest of the day by the time I get there too like it is hard but it's not harder it's just a different type of hard for that yeah um and I think that's why I'm like it's quite hard well I imagine it's quite hard when you've got both and you're trying to accommodate for the invisible disability over the visible and they're only going this visible disability is the only one I can see so that's Mm -hmm. the only one I'm going to accommodate for um and again even though that's not my experience I've I've had so many stories like that too and it's just so upsetting that we don't have those reflections in that way that we don't actually say to people oh it's going to be quite hard to navigate when you've got both but I've also found it hard to navigate in that sense too so don't feel like you're alone in it um yeah again another rant and I need to stop sorry I love it I love it I actually only have one final question um, and it's that's my favorite question out of all of them (laughs) so Jean are you disabled and proud I am disabled and proud very proud (laughs) yay I oh that felt weird to say that felt nice to say I like but I love that because more people need to hear that and more people need to know that it's okay to be proud of being disabled and that's not to say that it's easy because jesus christ we all know that it's not oh yeah some days are much better than others we but but you can you can have pride in your disability and 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 it's okay like being proud of your disability is actually really cool yeah yeah and it's it's an up and down journey for everyone there'll Mm. be times where you're less proud well not less proud just less accepting because there's barriers in your way but I wouldn't change this identity because of that like I love the fact that I get to be part of this community I'm getting all teary why am I getting teary (laughs) (laughs) oh no you cry because I cry when people cry (laughs) this is in my like trying to unmask and you'll see every emotion going now (laughs) um but it, it's it's not that I'm trying to escape a disabled identity in any way. It's just because I know it's harder for the moment. Yeah. Um, and it's harder for me in some in senses, in certain spaces, in certain settings. It's harder for me to be brown. It's harder for me to be 24 because I'm taking less seriously. It's, yeah. There's always going to be something, um, you know. Uh, it's harder for me to wear um my reading glasses when I need noise cancelling headphones you know there's there is things that makes it super irritating but again I wouldn't change it because yeah my my, my humor from it alone is, is the best yeah I want to say a massive thank you for coming on the podcast today I have loved this chat I think 
everything we've spoken about has been so important from intersectionality to being proud of being disabled to misdiagnosis undiagnosis like how women are seen in the disabled space I've really enjoyed this chat and I'm really thankful that you came on and thanks for giving up some time for your day to come on and and just chat with me about stuff I've loved it thanks for listening to this episode of disabled and proud if you've enjoyed the show then please give it some love by leaving us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts it really helps us to reach more and more people each week plus if you've got a particular highlight then I'd absolutely love to hear it tag me on your insta stories at disabled and proud podcast